Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining this week's Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Marty Miller here with my co-host, Miss Wendy Batts. Wendy, how are you doing today? I'm good, Marty. How are you? Great. I'm looking forward to today's topic because I know we get asked so many times, do I need to do a formal assessment? How often should I reassess? You know, how do I go through that process? What if my client doesn't want to go through assessment? So I think today we're going to give people some answers to that and show them how they can sneak in what we would call accidental assessments at every single set, every single rep, no matter when they're training a client. Yes. And I think this is actually going to be really beneficial for those of you guys that do group training. Um, or if you're working with a team and you have a bunch of athletes all at once, you know, if there's no time to do individual one-on-one -on -one assessments, which again, Marty and I are going to say are probably the most important thing you can do with your athletes and or clients. However, if you're, you know, you've got a time issue, you're not sure when you can fit it in and you need to do something quick, hopefully today's podcast and webinar will help you. Yeah, once you understand human movement and you're paying attention to form and technique, and if you're correcting form and technique, you are indirectly or slash directly assessing people. So hopefully we can just connect those dots and people are like, ah, it's that easy. It is that easy. And so this is actually what we're going to talk about. If you're, how about this, Marty? quote of like the century for you and I both, if you're not assessing, you're guessing guys, you have to look at someone's movement pattern. If you really want to be very individualized designing programs, they're going to be very beneficial. However, as Marty just mentioned, not every client's going to want to go through a formal movement assessment. So you're going to have to think through what can you do to do an assessment without quote, doing a formal assessment. And when we say formal assessments, we're talking about the overhead squat, single leg squat, any of the performance ones, pushing, pulling. There are a, bunch of different exercise or uh, assessments that you can do. Daily habits can lead to predict predictable compensation patterns. We've talked about this. And as you get more familiar with that solutions table that you can find within your textbook or you can find on NASM.org, you're going to start to see common patterns that happen with someone that sits or somebody that has to dress a certain way or somebody that's doing a specific sport. It's very, very common to have um, compensations that you're going to see in a lot of the same type of athletes. And the big one that we're going to talk about most of today is that every exercise should be considered an assessment. Yeah, without a doubt, once you start going through all these things, you can't help but see it. You know, I just got back from a flight, going to the airport. I caught a bunch of different compensations, just people walking, the way they're holding their bags, et cetera. So you will always see it once you learn to see it. Oh, and then you can't unsee it. So guys, just keep that in mind because I have said this on multiple, multiple shows that, I mean, even when I was in Hawaii, I was noticing all these people in flip-flops and I'm just like looking at people's arches, looking at their feet. And my husband, who also does the same thing, we were sitting there talking more about that than enjoying time together on vacation. So. Sounds like a complete waste. Next time I'll go to Hawaii and I will shut it off. <laughs> I tried, Marty. I tried. I get you. I get you. So, Wendy, when we talk about assessments, yes, we're going to cover quickly the formal assessments. We're never going to tell you not to do assessments. There's certain things you absolutely have to do. Every facility will have their own requirements. So in NASM's material, you're going to see some of the you know, go-tos for sure. You got to do a medical history. You got to do that PAR-Q+. You got to make sure people are first and foremost ready to go into a formal exercise process and program. So all of this is provided within NASM. You can download these if you went through the course, you, you know, you were, you were quizzed and tested on these concepts. So yes, we do start with the formal assessments, which will even be the 
interviewing, building rapport in the PARQ+. When we get into the accidental exercise, we're talking more so in the movement assessments. Yeah. And, and guys, as everyone knows, this is a liability for you as well. So, you know, you need to ask these questions. You need to find out if they have any health concerns that you need to be aware of, if there are uncertain medications, because that can play a big factor in your programming, especially if you think about foam rolling. You know, we always say, hey, if someone's got some overactivity in a muscle, you're going to want to foam roll that and then statically stretch it in order to get better length. However, it's important to realize, too, that there are certain um, uh, contraindications that you want to take into consideration. So knowing that ahead of time is going to help you make sure that you keep your clients safe and not put them in, in harm's way because you're having them do something that medically they shouldn't be doing at the time. Right. No, great advice. You got to cover the basics for sure. Then you can get creative with the movement assessments as you go through. So Wendy, I'm going to let you take this because five <laughs> days, I'm just going to stay out of it. Yeah, well, and, you know, we we always talk about the five kinetic chain checkpoints, and we do that because we know that if someone is properly lined up, their joints are going to be in a better position, the muscles on each side of the body are going to be in a better position, it's going to be easier for someone to execute an exercise, and you are minimizing the chances of any kind of injury occurring if someone's doing a squat or a lunge, if their feet are straight, you know, if they're standing about shoulder to hip at the part, if their knee is over their second and third toe, if their hip is in neutral, so it's not anteriorly tilted forward or posteriorly tilted back, um, and, and where are their shoulders in relation to the lower body as well as the ears. So you want your shoulders in neutral, not rounded forward, and then the head in a neutral position. So when you're going to do assessments, I mean, ideally, you're going to set them up into these five kinetic chain checkpoints with their shoes off, and then therefore there's no base of support in the shoe, and then you're going to have them go into their squats. This is something that we've talked about a lot because it's important when you are doing assessments to see based on you setting them up and they begin either standing there or doing the movement, where do they start to deviate? So if somebody comes in and you're just looking at their static posture before you put them in the five kinetic chain checkpoint, you can see what's comfortable for them and knowing what they should be doing. And then that's also going to give you a heads up before you even have them do any type of exercise or any kind of type of assessment. So you know, if you're noticing that someone's feet is, you know, they're turned out or they're shifting a hip because they're putting more weight on one side, if they, you know, have rounded shoulders and a forward head and that's their comfort zone, you're going to see this probably carry over definitely throughout your exercise process, as well as when you're doing a formal type of assessment. Yeah. And that's where, you know, going into your CPT material, maybe even taking the CES on top of it, getting that deeper understanding of anatomy. And then also by doing the external exercises, which means basically you're always looking at form and technique and the five chain checkpoints, you're going to start learning this even at a higher level, which is, you know, just be present at all times with your clients. Don't pass the test and then forget about all these assessments. Yes. Yes. And yes. <laughs> and then the overhead squat. I mean, this is usually um, NASM's foundational type of assessment. Most everybody can do an overhead squat assessment unless there's some medical reason why they shouldn't. Uh, however, keep in mind that an overhead squat um, or just a squat in general is an activity of daily living. You know, people sitting in and out of a chair, getting in and out of their car. So we do want to see how do they squat. Now, remember, when we're saying doing the overhead squat, we only want them to go to about chair height. 
If they give you a little curtsy, you're probably not getting enough information. So you're just going to ask them to go a little bit deeper. If they are, or you're not sure about their balance or you're not really um, comfortable because of some of the information you found when you did your subjective type information, which we're asking the questions, you can easily put a chair behind them and say, hey, right before you hit the chair, that's the, the depth that I want you to go. So therefore security, if they fall back, you know that they're safe. Um, again, these are examples on the right side with people with their shoes on doing more of a prisoner squat, you know, up on the tiptoes. But if you're going to just be doing a basic overhead squat, put them in the five kinetic chain checkpoints, remove the shoes, and then have them squat with their hands in line with their ears, making sure that their head is in neutral. Because again, most people have forward heads, so you don't want the arms to start in a forward position. And can they maintain their elbows straight? Can they maintain, you know, good flexion without arching their lower back? And then what do you notice at the lower body? And anything that you see, just as a reminder, even if it's minimal, you're going to mark it down because as they get tired, that compensation is going to definitely show up more and more. And then it's going to help you on the programming side, realizing where some of those deviations are so you can work on correcting them. Yeah, it's critical to do that. And, you know, we'll get into it, how this can be a warm up for somebody. But the key point is that we want that total body assessment and see how their body communicates from the foot and ankle all the way through the top of their head into the arms and shoulders above their head. And from there, you're going to get a ton of information. Mm -hmm. Plus, it also lets you know, too, Marty, when you think about it, like what exercises not to do. If someone has right. a really big low back arch with their arms overhead, doing a military or overhead press or doing a squat to press probably isn't most ideal in the beginning until you really start to look at the length of the lat that's putting that arch you know, making the arch more, um, more severe. Because again, everyone has a normal arch. Remember, we're looking at something that is abnormal or even bigger. So if you notice that they start out one way, they lift their arms and that arch gets bigger, or they can't even lift their arms over their head, then you're going to notice like, hey, lats are super, super overactive. There's some weakness in the mid to lower back. So if you are going through our corrective exercise strategies and you notice that it says to do an integration with upper and lower body, the, the squat to press wouldn't be appropriate at that moment because you're seeing these compensations with the hands overhead. So something like Marty and I's favorite, the squat to row may be more beneficial at that point. Yeah. And it, going into row, since you said that our next assessment would be a pulling assessment. We have to see how people pull. Can they pull and keep their core in the right position? Can they get the scapulas to actually do the retraction or are they spinning their shoulder where their elbow is going further back, but they're not getting in any shoulder retraction or depression? Do they elevate their shoulders? Do they arch their low back? So it's critical that in the assessments as well, that you do a pulling assessment because we're going to have a lot of people that need to do more pulling exercises to fix their posture than maybe the pushing exercises. Yeah. And I like this TRX example because one thing that I've noticed when, when instead of sitting someone down and just doing a cable pull, I want to kind of see where their core is and, right. and how their body reacts to, you know, some sort of suspension tr training. So even if it's not a TRX strap and you have something else, this one's actually really good because they don't have to be parallel to the ground. You don't have to make this severely hard. It's, hey, I want you to hold on to the, the straps. I want you to kind of lift your toes up. So therefore, you know, minimal contact points and then see what happens at the lower back. But most, most of the compensations I see, Marty, and I don't know if this is the same with you, their feet turn out. Like as soon as I have them get off their toes and they're on their heels, the first thing they do is they externally rotate their feet, which is probably something that I already noticed in the static posture as well as the overhead squat. 
So this is something when we say accidental exercise, they're doing an inverted row or they're doing a, you know, maybe not quite so inverted, but you don't have to use a strap if you don't have them. You can use a Smith press bar. You can still get really good information do, utilizing that, um, being underneath the bar and then pulling up. But, you know, if you, if you haven't really put this into programming, as Marty said, most people need to pull because they're so weak in the mid to lower, um, uh, mid to lower back that this is a great activation exercise as well. And if you're going to do it, make sure you're getting the muscles to fire right. Hence why this is an assessment and or exercise. They're all one in the same. Yeah. And look at her shoulder, Marty. I mean, you were just talking about spinning. That's actually pretty much as far back as anyone's going to be able to go without right. going into that spinning motion. So if her elbows came back more, you're going to see that the front of the, um, the humeral head starts to rotate anteriorly. So therefore that increases internal rotation. So they're utilizing and, and, and putting more stress on that shoulder capsule because the humeral head starts to drive into that shoulder capsule more versus getting it in a seated neutral position and getting retraction at the same time. Right. Absolutely. And for those of you joining us today on the Match Instructor Roundtable, we're talking about accidental assessments. You've heard us talk about accidental exercises. So myself, Marty Miller here with Wendy Batts. We know that sometimes not everybody wants to go through a formal assessment process, but we've also been asked many times, when would I reassess? Well, every single exercise is a reassessment process. If you're following the five kinetic chain checkpoints and you're watching form and technique. Yeah. And if you are utilizing like this pulling assessment too, and you notice that someone's shrugging, remember there are different cues that you're going to want to use if you're doing this as an exercise, but you're starting to see compensations. See if you can cue them out of it. Really think about head position. Hey, I noticed that your head's forward. I want you and you can place your hand very gently on the back of their head and say, hey, do you feel my hand? I want you to double chin and bring your head back into my hand until you feel it. And then I want you to maintain that position. Or if they're shrugging, don't touch their top of their shoulders because again, you're telling them to unshrug and then you're pressing down on their shoulders. So you're actually activating a muscle because you're palpating it or touching it. So instead put your hands underneath their elbows and tell them to push down into your hands, which then doesn't activate an overactive muscle. And you're really trying to under give them a cue that they can feel. I mean, unfortunately, most people learn by either seeing, hearing or tactile. So, you know, kinesthetically by feeling it. I'm a very touchy person, which I let people know in the very beginning. If, but I did have a client that did not like to be touched. So we found that out in the very beginning. And I had to be very clear on, hey, this is what you're doing. And I had to demonstrate what they were doing and then show them what I wanted. So again, in your assessment process, find out what it is that they, they don't like, what it is that you can do on the queuing side. And if they do like to be touched in, in appropriate ways, of course, then, um, you know, how you can best help them get out of the compensations you're seeing. Excellent. Great points. Then a pushing assessment, you know, everyone's going to be able to probably do some version of this. You could do it with a band or a cable if, if they cannot get into a body weight position. But Wendy already talked about uh, using a Smith machine or a bench. You could lower the percentage of body weight that they need as you are more advanced, or I'm sorry, you would increase the percentage of body weight as you get them, you know, more to this position, but anything can be a pushing assessment. I would suggest maybe not doing a seated chest press because you want to see what's going on at the scapulas. And if their back is fixed against the pad, you're not going to really get to see what they're capable of. So a push up, you're going to see what happens at the head and neck. You're going to see what happens at the scapulas. Do they wing? Do they arch their low back? Can they keep their body in that triple extension by having their quads tight and not bending at the knees? 
You're also going to see what their upper body strength is. So there's so much that can go on just by doing any type of pushing assessment. A lot of people can try a push up and you'll see them move from the bottom to the top, from the bottom to top. So they quote unquote did a push up, but there can be a lot of things going on in there that that's just not appropriate for them. So this is where I will always include some type of pushing assessment. Yeah. So again, think about how many people do a push up in, in the workout. So if you didn't have time to do your assessment, have them do, we just showed you some sort of suspension pull. And then if you add push ups, you're seeing a lot of information. I mean, even in this picture right here, this individual has a forward head, their shoulder blades are, are winging. So I would call them a winger. And then you're going to notice at the top, he has a slight arch in his lower back, but when he goes down, it's flat. So therefore, every time he's coming up, he's dropping his hips a little bit. Um, it's harder to tell on that one. So, I mean, I really want to see it in person, but I also look, can he maintain squeezing his glutes the entire time? Is he drawing in what's happening when I'm forcing him to draw in and squeeze the glutes, which if I'm looking down, it looks like he's winking at me, right? So both glutes are squeezed and you might see one side that's able to squeeze really well and the other side that's weaker. So all of this information is very, very important for you to look at not just can they do a push up and do it for a certain amount of reps and whatever tempo, all of this is assessments because I'm seeing what's happening at the body when I'm putting it, you know, now looking just body weight and gravity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot, a lot of information to be ascertained from a push up. And I'm going to say the majority of people, I don't care how many they do don't do push ups correctly. Yes. And if they are wingers, remember the best way to get someone out of that is activating the serratus by doing a push up with a plus to try to get that to any kind of protraction exercise will really get that activation of that one particular muscle. And ideally what that will do is help lie the shoulder blades flat against the rib cage, which is where they belong. Um, and as it gets weak, that's why you start to see that popping motion. Love it. So the other thing too is, you know, I just talked about how it was at the airport, you somehow ruined your Hawaii vacation, which I get totally, but the activities of daily livings or things that you're observing at all times, people will fall back into their natural tendencies. If they lean to the right, if they rotate to one side, right? Depends on what side, are they a side sleeper predominantly on one side? You'll see people here, you know, how they drive, does their foot kind of kick out an external rotation? So many different things that can be looked upon. And, you know, this would then, you know, high heel shoes or even men wearing elevated dress shoes. All of this will be very predictable when you see where they spend most of their time. Yeah. And, you know, we I had a client recently come in and I hadn't seen him because he had been traveling a lot. He is a salesperson that is in the car. He's on you know airplanes. And we were talking a lot about this. And, you know, I was like, all right, I know. He has to be in business suits when he's going in to, to speak to whomever he's speaking with. And so he is in dress shoes. Guys realize that it doesn't have to be the high heels that you're seeing on the upper right hand side. It can be a man's dress shoe has a heel on it, which puts them into dorsiflexion. And if they're in that for multiple, um, I'm sorry, plantar flexion, if they're in that for multiple periods of time, then their calves are getting really tight. So therefore, when they take those shoes off, if they don't stretch their calves to get ideal range of motion, you know that there's going to be external rotation when they're out of those shoes. Same thing. How do they stand at the gym? Like Marty just said, you know, a lot of cars these days, um, the headrest, as you can see in this picture, it pushes your head forward. I have no idea why they're making cars that way. And because then it really does put you in a forward position. So, you know, learn a little bit more about what they're dealing with on a daily basis, because that's going to help you as well as programming what you're seeing in the gym, knowing what the, the, 
issues are ahead of time and thinking how that could lead to improper movement patterns, that's something you're going to have to program a lot of because it's what they're already doing. And they may see you once, twice or three times a week. That's three hours out of the entire week um, or one or two. So what are you going to do to help combat what they're doing in order to help their movement quality each and every time they see you, but then also outside of the gym? Well said, Wendy. Thanks, always Andy. paying attention, always detailed. So even like with the bridges, do they naturally have, do they want to gravitate to internal rotation of the shoulder? Can they get to external rotation? Do their feet kick out, which is going to be very common. Do they start to feel cramping in their hamstring or low back instead of the glutes? A lot that can happen there. Or are they tight where they can't even get into hip extension? So they, you know, their hip flexors and quads are still tight. They can't get into a neutral position as you move up into extension. You look at the plank, there's a, I mean, there's, I think everyone can see what's going on there. That curve in the low back is excessive. He's got scapular winging and a lot of people internally rotate their hands for stability because they can't hold an externally or neutral position at the shoulder with our lunge or split squat from the front. You're going to see, does their knee adduct and internally rotate? We've added that in the CES now as a bridge between the single leg squat and the overhead squat. Even with payoff presses, can somebody stabilize their spine? You know, does their head jut forward? Look at her feet. Her feet are turned out. So, you know, these are things we can cue, but more than likely, if you haven't addressed it, people will gravitate back to those type of positions. If you're not very purposeful in your program design, including your warm up and or correctives all the way through. Yeah. And I mean, and when we think about this, these are, these are exercises that we would use in phase one. And these are commonly done incorrect. And so to Marty's point, if someone's feeling it in their hamstrings, then what you would want to do is tell them to bring their heels back towards their glutes a little bit more because, you know, again, you don't want this to be a hamstring exercise. And unfortunately, what we're seeing is people are trying to make it way more difficult than someone can have, you know, can control. And they're like, oh, my goodness, I feel my hamstrings. Well, OK, shut that down, because that means they're they're using a synergist. They're they're compensating. They're not using the prime mover, which should be the glutes. And so why is that happening? And then that's when you start to ask the questions, why? And then what do you need to do to cue them out of it? And then if not, how do you regress those exercises? Again, if this was my client, and I noticed I was seeing all of this in the plank going on, then to Marty's point, you know, hey, I want you to spread your hands out. Cueing is going to be very, very important throughout all of this. This is not okay. And again, he'll say, oh, I can hold it for 60 seconds. If he comes up and, and says, I, you know, this is his first two or three seconds, I drop it down and say, you failed, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, that's why in the very beginning, holding one to two seconds, coming all the way down, resetting and doing it for repetitions is really difficult for people. And then it's hard to think, well, that's harder than holding it for 60 seconds. In all reality, it's, it, it's harder to do it for a shorter amount of time repetitively because you have to make sure each and every time they're getting back into the five kinetic chain checkpoints, they are squeezing their glutes. They're maintaining, you know, that plus so their shoulder blades are becoming more and more flat. It's very, very challenging for someone. And then at that point, reduce the amount of reps, increase the amount of time until you get to whatever time you're trying to achieve. But do not let this happen because right now you're not helping them really get core engagement you're actually showing that it's just more compensation. Plus it's a lot of stress on the shoulders. Absolutely. And you know, from there, it's just, once you teach these movement patterns, it's so much easier to fix them. But if you allow this, you're now encouraging it, which means you're actually allowing them to be stronger per se in these compensations. So it has to be addressed, has to be fixed. 
Yep. And every, every single rep is you, that's why it's important. They are paying us for our time to look at every single movement that they're doing. And so if you notice on the way down, there's compensations, you want to fix it on the way up. You know, you don't want to do like, you don't want to vomit at the mouth and tell them everything that they're doing wrong. Pick the worst one first, cue them out of it and say, okay, perfect. Keep that going. Now, what I want you to do, if, if they're a winger and you're in the plank, put your hand gently on their, in between their shoulder blades and have them press up into your hand. And then they start to feel what it is that you want, because especially when you're cueing someone straight down, they can't see you because they should be looking at the ground. If they're looking at you, then they're compensating with their head and that's not what you want. So it's very important too, that if you can't cue them out of that, what are you going to do? And then that's when you could use the, the Smith machine um, because you're elevating it. So they don't have so much gravity. You can drop them to their knees. There are a lot of different things that you can utilize in order for them to produce the movement better in a regressed way. And before you get them here, because that bad information in your brain is going to lead to bad execution and then bad movement patterns. And so it's very, very important that that happens. Totally agree with that. So, you know, I think hopefully in, in this master Direct round table, we talked about the importance of stick to your assessments. Don't ever think we're trying to encourage you not to do them. But we have to be realistic that in certain circumstances, like when you said in a group with a team or a client who's not going to go through that process outside of what you legally have to do with like the park queue and the medical histories that we have now made you think about it a different way to accomplish the same thing. But also simultaneously, I know Wendy and I are hoping that you now look at every single set of every single rep as an assessment. You're assessing all the time. You're really, truly not ever assessing if you're paying attention to your clients. So yes, formal assessments are going to be the most reliable, but there's always going to be a way to assess your clients. And then every rep of every set of every exercise is an assessment. Well said, Marty. <laughs> you know, I like to kind of close things on, on a, on a, you know, positive note and, you know, get some momentum here. So Wendy, I know that you want people to reach out because this is where we get a lot of our ideas for our next topic. So if you could share your contact information. Absolutely. If you guys have any questions about what we talked about today, um, this actually came to us from one, a student of mine that was asking about formal assessments and timing. So I really appreciate the comments coming in and, uh, you know, the asks in Marty and I do our best to try to get these out there. So all of you guys, we do want to say thank you so much for listening. But if you have questions or you want to send us some information or you just want to say hello, feel free to email me at wendy.bats at nasm.org. Or you can find me on Instagram at wendy.bats13. And my information's right here now. So Instagram is dr.martymiller72. And then email marty.miller at nasm.org. So Wendy, thanks for the great information, great stories, great analogies. I know everybody here will gain from it. Hopefully, the you know we have opened up your eyes to something new, something easy to implement the next time you're in the gym with your clients. So for all of you that joined us on the Master Dark Tramble, master instructor round table excuse me that's a mouthful thank you so much and we definitely look forward to seeing you again next week <laughs> <laughs>